All right, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke. I pray that is your heart's desire is to do the will of the Father as the Word of God is a mirror, James says, that we look into. And the psalmist said, search me, O God, and try me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way. As I come to the word of God, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. For thy word is truth, and it is through thy word that we are set free. And a man who comes to the word of God, the scripture says, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce down into our hearts and discern between what is good and evil. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, beholding the evil and the good. And it is through God's word that we are able to see ourselves and to see the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week, the Heavenly Father spoke down from heaven in the text that we read and looked at. As Jesus was transfigured in his glory, And God interrupted Peter as he's sticking his foot in his mouth. And God said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear him. Obey him. And in Luke chapter 9, in verse 37, I'd like to read some verses here. The scripture says, And it came to pass that on the next day, when they were come down from the hill, much people met him. And behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. And lo, a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out, and it teareth him that he foameth uh, again, and bruising him, hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and they could not. Jesus answering said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. Notice that. But while they wondered every one at all things which Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. (laughs) I don't know how much more plain Jesus could have been. Listen to these words. I'm going to say it again. For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them that they perceive it not. It was, they, didn't, they didn't understand its meaning, where, what it was talking about. And they feared to ask him of that saying. Let's continue reading. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him, and said unto them, Whoso shall receive this child in my name receives me, and whosoever shall receive me receives him that sent me. 
For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him, because he followed not with us. And Jesus said unto him, Forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. Father, give us um, the illumination of the Spirit to see the words that you've preserved for us. And Lord, would we obey them? And Lord, would you convict our hearts? Thank you for those who are visiting with us today, who've come under the preaching of God's Word. Would they have receptive spirits as they look into the mirror of God's Word? And would you convict us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Life is made up of ups and downs. Um, The mountaintop experiences and the valley depths below. Um, I don't know, some of you, if if you've ever uh, gone over to the Wilds camp in New York, uh, uh, North Carolina, and you've traveled over the mountain peaks over there, or maybe you've gone to eastern portion of Tennessee over the uh, Smoky Mountains, and um, you you've gone up and around some of those some of those drives. They can make you a little car sick. If, if you're, and you got a, you got a whole van full of, of teenagers or college age kids or, or ladies on a ladies retreat or you're headed over there, uh, you can, you can get sick pretty easy. You got to find, you know, the Dramamine or the bag, all right? Or just stop at one of those lookouts and pray nobody's below, all right? And uh, that's, that's ends up what happened. So you, you feel that way. Sometimes life comes. One day, everything's going well. You're, you're in, the, in the glory of walking with the Savior and the blessings of being obedient to His Word. And then the next day, it all comes at you. And you're down in the dumps and in the valley of despair. Look at verse 37 that we opened up with. And it came to pass that on the next day, when they came down from the hill, all three Gospels record this next event in the following same order as the previous event of the mountaintop experiences of the Mount Transfiguration. They all say the next day, not eight days later, not sometime after, not upon a certain day, but on the exact following day. What happened the previous day? Well, if you were with us last week, you, you're able to follow this fairly well. Hopefully, your mind is, is going back to the event that we talked about last week. It, 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 the, the previous day, the most glorious event happened in the, in, in the life and ministry, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important revealing of Christ on this side of the second coming. The preview, a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Jesus revealed in all of his glory, in light and shining, his faith changed. Moses and Elijah are there meeting and talking about the exodus of Jesus going back to his heavenly father. The sharing of this wonderful plan of redemption that had been promised in the Old Testament. And now these three men are talking about what it is going to be like when Jesus redeems the whole world. A glimpse into the face of God and all of His glory. A Mount Sinai experience in the New Testament. In a little unknown corner of Israel on a high mountain that we don't know where it happened. The incarnate Son of God 
who was previously veiled in human flesh, took off his veil. And out came the glory of the almighty Jehovah, the great I am. The lion of the tribe of Judah in all his majesty and glory in his kingship and his white garments radiating the very throne of God as Daniel said, the ancient of days. And Peter was right to say, it's good that we've been here. I mean, what a day. All the days of following Jesus. For him to be revealed and transfigured into his, his glory and his divinity to radiate out to see this, what a day. And Jesus in all his glory in the kingdom. And then Peter says, let's make some tabernacles and camp out here for a while. I don't want to lose this glory. I don't want to lose this moment of this camp out experience with Jesus in his full kingship shining out. And Moses and Elijah happening to show up as well. And then God comes down in a moment in the form of a cloud. And he speaks, this is my son, my beloved, my chosen son. Listen to him. Peter, stop your jabbering. Stop your talking and listen. Follow him. Obey him. Listen to the words that he's saying. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on what he's telling you on the next day. I mean, Peter's packing up his sleeping bag and, and, and he's got it rolled up and James and John are there and Jesus and they're skipping down the mountain back down to the valley on this glorious uh, mountaintop experience of being able to, to get a glimpse of the face of God. John Phillips calls this next section of verses that we read this morning, Grace in the Valley. The mountaintop's experiences are thrilling enough. But the real work waits for us in the valley where there are hurting people and demonic possessions. That's where the trouble is. A song that we often sing in our hymn book written by Charles Fry. He was a, a, a strong worker and supporter of the Salvation Army in the late 1800s. Under William Booth, there had become a crisis in the Salvation Army, a lot of criticism and protests that had come against the organization. He had seen a lot of abuse that had happened of this ministry. And in 1879 in Salisbury, where Fry's family lived, he was a bricklayer. He had three sons. And he offered to come out during one of these protests against the Salvation Army and with his three sons, play music in the streets to try and um, squash the, the protests that were happening in the streets. Armed with a cornet, a, tube, a, a trombone, and a small tuba, they began to sing music as the crowds began to dwindle down and preaching started to take place. It was later, through that experience in that same year, that Fry wrote down these words as a glimpse taken from Song of Solomon 2 in verse 1. I am the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. As he wrote this song in 1881, it was a year later that he would pass away. Iris D. Sankey took, found those words, took a tune 
of a popular song that had been written in 1871 by William Hayes for a secular show, took the words and the tune together, I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow, he's my comfort. In trouble, he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. A song that is showing the fact that even in the valley, there is hope in the midst of trouble and, and frustration. There is someone who sticks closer than a brother. You see, the mountaintops and the valley depths, we need to realize where we are here and now. We talked about last week the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That one day our bodies are going to change. And when he blows the trumpet in a moment and twinkling of an eye, this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. This mortal is going to put on immortality. We also read and talked about the fact that right now our loved ones who have died in the Lord are standing in the presence of, of the glory of the Son of God at the right hand of the throne of God. Wonderful experience. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see. What a glory. That's our hope. But the reality is, we're not in the sweet by and by. We're in the nasty now and now. And Jesus takes these three disciples who've got a glimpse of the second coming of Christ when he brings his kingdom. And Peter who says, let's just stay here. I don't ever want to come down. Let's bypass the suffering, bypass the cross, bypass all of the martyrdom that you promised that we were going to face because we follow you. And let's just move on like Enoch from here to there all in one moment. And let's just skip all the other stuff. And Jesus brings these disciples back down. And notice what happens when Jesus comes right back down. He comes right back down to a fight. At one moment, we get a glimpse in the kingdom of light. And the very next day, we're back down in the kingdom of darkness. Where there's arguing, there's demon possession, there's hurting parents, there's throngs of people, there's chaos, there's disciples who are powerless and unable to get things accomplished. They're arguing about who is the greatest and who's going to be the best. The jealousy that they see towards other people because they're not part of our group. You see, if I were Peter, I would have turned right back around and gone back up to my cabin in the mountains. You see, the scene and the contrast of this very next day is important for us because it pictures for us what Jesus did. He left His glory. He left his heaven in all of its perfection. No sin, no suffering, no pain, no limitations, no valleys, no depths, no hurts, no battles to be lost. In heaven, by the right hand of God, everything is okay. And he stood up and said, I will go. I will leave all of this and come down. 
to this stinking, filthy, rotten place of sin and death and disease and demons and fighting and selfishness and suffering because Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. You see, he was willing to leave and take my pain and become a man of sorrow. And what the disciples got is a small glimpse of Jesus in his glory. He could have just taken all of them right then and there and went straight to heaven. But instead, Jesus showed his disciples, not yet. I'm not finished. And neither are you. For those who know Jesus, this life is the worst that it's ever going to get. That means the best is yet to come. But for those who don't know Christ, this is the best you'll ever get. The worst is when you, when you breathe your last breath or Jesus were to come back and you were to step out of this earth in all its suffering and pain. It gets worse after this for you. This is the worst it gets for us who know Christ. And we get a glimpse of the hope that Jesus is offering that we have, but we've got to come back down to earth per se and realize the job is not yet over until Jesus says it's done. So when we come back down from that mountaintop experience, we come to a glimpse of what is happening here on this earth and the job that Jesus and he has for his disciples. If you're taking um, notes and want to see an outline of the event that we're going to see this morning, we see, first of all, a desperate father. We see a demonic son. We see disappointed disciples. And we see a dynamic deliverer. Let's first of all look at the desperate father. Look at verse 38 of this verse. And behold, a man of the company cried out saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is my only child. The word here for he cried out is not the word that he came out just saying or speaking. It, came, it means that he came out shouting. It seems like there was a, obviously much people that were there. And this man comes out of the crowd, screaming at the top of his lungs, trying to get Jesus' attention. No, the chaos that you could have described by the multitudes of people who were waiting for Jesus when he came off of the mountaintop. Where has Jesus been? We've got a whole lot of people he needs to heal. We, wanna, we want him to solve all of our problems. And here comes a man screaming at the top of his lungs for Jesus. He begs him. I beg of you, Lord. He's pleading with Jesus. And notice what he says here in the problem that he faced. He says, Master, I beg you, I beseech you, look upon my son, for he is my only child. Luke is the only one of the three Gospels who records this detail. The only child. It means the only begotten. This is the third time in Luke that he's used this word in connection to a story. We saw it first in chapter, or we saw it previously in chapter 8 and verse 42 when Jairus came to Jesus and said, My daughter, my only daughter is sick. We saw it previously in chapter 7 and verse 12 where Jesus met a widow who was coming out to the cemetery with her son, her only son who had been dead. Now it appears for the third time in the gospel with a father and his only son. His only begotten son. That's what the word means. Monogenesis. Only one that I've begotten. The next time this word appears in the Bible, 
from this chapter is in John chapter 1 and verse 14 that we quoted last week. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only Son, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I think this just is one of Luke's ways to help us to understand. This word is here to point out to us that our heavenly Father knows what it's like to have an only begotten Son. He knows what it's like to, to, to feel and to hurt the pain that sin causes to an only child. God is not ignorant, nor is He uncaring to what you are going through. And Luke goes out of his way by giving us that detail in those specific three stories to help us to understand God has an only Son, and His only Son took sin for us, and He knows what it feels like to lose a child. This man here in his desperate state, he begs. Can you imagine the turmoil of this father, what he's been through with this child who's demon-possessed? How embarrassing. Have you ever been embarrassed by your children before? All right. We, we went to the instrument shop yesterday looking for an instrument for, for my son Joshua. And it's just a little small shop. There's violins everywhere. There's cellos everywhere. There's, there's guitars, all these instruments. It's not no bigger than this platform here, all right? And, and I want my wife to be a part of the decision of what we're looking at and what he's seeing. And so because of that, we got to take all our little munchkins with us, all right? So we had the talk in the, in the van before we went in. Don't touch anything, all right? Just behave We've got business to deal with, things to talk. Now, you just come in, you know, I don't want to go out of there having to pay for anything that we don't want to pay for. So they come in, you know, and, they're, and, they're, and, and they last for, you know, a few minutes, all right? Jed's my five-year-old, all right? He's a little, little rambunctious, to say the least, all right? And so it's just trying to deal with it. And so we send them to outside, just to this platform, okay, after they've gotten their their, you know, their goodness out. Now the badness is coming out. So we send them to the platform. You know, hey, pastor's kids aren't perfect. Just like your kids aren't perfect. So we, we've got them on the platform and they're, uh, you know, just outside the door. It's a glass face. It's, you know, it's a business. It's got the full glass. So I'm standing there with my back to the glass. The kids are on the, uh, the front and Joshua and Amber. And we're talking to this businessman and uh, he's, he's showing us the instrument and, and these and different things and he's kind of saying... And, uh, and I can kind of see him looking, you know, out the, kind of the window there. And I turn around, and one of my kids has his face on the glass, <laughs> blowing, all right, Make, making those spots on the windows, all right. And, uh, and I just wanted to crawl in, inside somewhere, all right. And uh, you, you know what it's like. Can you imagine this father in the experience that we just read? For this child to be overtaken by a devil and a demon in this fashion. And this to happen to him. The constant turmoil and embarrassment of what is going on. The pain that this father knows his son is in. And he can do nothing about it. He's tried. Notice what he asked the Lord to do in this verse. Lord, would you look upon him? I know what it's like not wanting people to look upon my children. 
You're in the grocery store and something embarrassing happens and you hope no one saw that. And, and you hope nobody, and you look around. Here, this father says, Lord, look at it. I'm tired of being embarrassed. I'm tired of him going through this turmoil. I'm tired of being the, the, the parent who's constantly in this frustration. I'm desperate. I've tried to get help from everywhere else. There's nothing more that I can do. And Lord, I'm asking you, Savior, Master, Jesus, will you look at him? Now, this is more than just a, gr- a glance. This word is epiblepo, which means not just a look, but a, an intense look of compassion. One author states, with the addition of the preposition at the beginning of this word, it is a plea for Jesus to look upon the Son with tenderness and love. Take a good look, Jesus. Here this father is at the end of his ropes. I don't have anywhere else to go. Don't pass by and not look at him. The desire of the Savior's look, those eyes... To look into the heart knowing this man knew that Jesus could do something about it if he would just take a long look. As this glance of this father who is desperate, we look at this son who is demonically possessed. In verse 39, gives us the description of what is happening to this boy. And lo, a spirit takes him and suddenly cries out and it tears him that he foams again and, and bruising him. That means he's causing bodily harm and, and he just thrashes him around. This is a terrible scene. The first century world had all kinds of ailments that they associated with demonic possession. They had a demon attributed to just about every sickness in every situation. I do believe in the first century there was a lot of demonic activity specifically tied to Jesus and his his ministry on earth. There are some today who believe that mental and psychological sicknesses or diseases are attributed to demonic possession. I don't necessarily believe that. Demonic possession is not the same thing as a mental disease or a psychological issue. The symptoms of this man seem to resemble epilepsy. However, Dr. Luke, makes an observation that this is not just a physical or a mental problem. This is full-blown demon possession. Luke could have told the difference. This is the work of demons. See, I I believe that, that demon possession is and can happen today. I believe that demons are more involved in a subtle fashion behind the scenes... If you were to go to some areas of the world where there is spiritism and paganism and places around the world where the occult is very active, we would probably see a higher form of demon possession. Jesus faced demon possession on multiple occasions, even in this gospel. We've already talked about demon possession. We saw a man who was tormented by a legion of demons running around in the cemetery with some kind of extreme strength as he was able to tear the cords and, 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 the, 
and the change that he was bound. We saw demon possession of a woman, Mary Magdalene, who had been uh, filled with seven demons who had brought confusion in her life. We saw a demon-possessed man in the synagogue who tried to disrupt the service when Jesus was preaching and teaching. Demons and devils sure know how to cause trouble and disruption in the lives of people. You see, when a person opens his mind and body to demonic activity, he's just asking for trouble. I saw a boy the other day in one of the restaurants we were eating. It was after school. He was all dressed in black, had black chains tied to his clothes, and up and down his arms, he had short sleeves, up and down his arms, he had marks where he had taken a knife and had cut into himself symbols, crosses on, on both arms. You can see the, 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 the arm was infected. And I could overhear him talking to his friends. And every word that came out of his mouth was a curse word in every sentence. My heart broke. Here was a young person that was bound by sin was believing the terrible lies of the devil and the devil has control of so many people and it's sad notice in down verse 42 look what Luke says and when he was yet coming the devil threw him down and tear him um, I, I've watched some, some wrestling in, in the past in fact in um, at Maranatha University, they had a wrestling team. Some of the guys in my dorm were on the wrestling team. Maranatha actually has or had um, or has as an alumnist and an Olympic silver and gold medalist, Ben Peterson, who won gold medal in the 1972 Munich Olympics and the 1976 Montreal Olympics. He won silver. He coached at Maranatha for 28 years. His brother, who went to the University of Wisconsin, actually won silver and gold opposite, so he and his brother competed in the same Olympics. The reason I bring this illustration up is because the Greek word here, he threw him down, is a wrestling term. It's a fighting word. This means that when he came to the Lord, the demon took possession of him. And like a wrestling match, he threw him to the ground. This is showing the struggle. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul says, Listen, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You may not be demon possessed today, but I can guarantee you, you're fighting a spiritual battle. And the devil hates it when you do what's right. He hates it when you get your family and you come into church and you come under the sound preaching of God's word. He hates it when you open up the Bible in your home with your family and begin to memorize and read the scripture. He hates it when you begin to turn on the radio and listen to good preaching and good, uh, good gospel music in your heart. He hates it when you begin making right choices in your life. And as a pastor, I've seen it over and over and over again. When God starts working in the lives of people, you make... You mark it down. The devil is right behind to destroy their life. I've seen it in our church where things start going well. 
God starts working in a home, in a family, in a marriage, in the life of a young person or in our school or in the youth group. And all of a sudden, the devil is right around the corner with his minions. He has an army. And he would love nothing more than to destroy and throw you down. And the sad thing is, there are times where he becomes successful. It breaks our heart. We are fighting a spiritual battle and wickedness is all around us. And we may not see it in the form of this extreme possession here in this horror scene. But don't think the devil is not real and his lies have not bound people to them just the same. So we see this demonic son and we see what he's been um, experiencing. Notice the disappointed disciples in verse 40. That... The man says, I, I begged and besought. I, I looked for your disciples to cast him out, but they could not. That's the problem. Now, this is revealing the nine other disciples who had been left down in the valley when Jesus took the inner three up on the Mount of Transfiguration had been confronted by this father and this son to cast out demons. Now that's in, in, interesting because in chapter 9 and verse 1, what did Jesus commission these disciples to do? And when he called his disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all what? All devils. The same exact chapter. He gave the disciples, all 12 of them, the ability to go out all throughout Galilee, preach the kingdom of God, heal sicknesses and diseases, and cast out all demons, all devils. And then we come to a place here a few, time, a few verses later where we find a situation that they can't. Why? I believe the text gives us some clues Look at verse 41 when Jesus responds. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? So here Jesus is giving us a clue into why they are powerless to cast out the demon. Because they failed in their dependence upon the Lord. This was an issue of their faith. Who is Jesus talking to here? Is he talking to the disciples? Is he talking to the Pharisees? Is he talking to the larger category of people that are here in the audience? I believe yes, all of the above. And Jesus lumps his group of disciples into this generation that is perverse and crooked. One moment they're casting out demons. The next moment they are completely helpless to do anything because of the distracted spirit. How easy it is to become distracted. John Phillips says these disciples picture for us the powerless church. It isn't that we don't have enough faith. It is that we don't listen and follow and be obedient to the words that we've been given. That's why Jesus is disappointed here with these disappointed disciples. How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I keep suffering with this perverse and crooked generation? It's like the Lord is, is, is frustrated over his disciples for their lack of confidence in God. I believe there's a second reason that we find that the disciples are having an issue with, um, with this, uh, this demon. And it's found in verse 46. Look down in verse 46 that we read. And there arose a reasoning among them which should be the greatest. Here's another clue. 
These disciples are arguing and fighting with one another. There's internal strife. There's selfishness. There's pride. There's desire to be the greatest and the best. There could be some frustration between the fact that Jesus took three other disciples and left us here. Okay, there's some, there's some animosity. It even shows us in the next verse that John comes to him and says, we saw another guy casting out demons and he's not part of our group and we told him to stop. I mean, it's like these junior high boys who are fighting with one another. And that's what happens in this, in this spirit here that is going on. Listen, the Lord is not going to advance His ministry through your life as long as you're filled with selfish pride and uncontrolled immaturity. The disciples at this point were all of the above. And Jesus left them for a moment. Took his, his three other disciples up the hill. And then all this jealousy and self-centeredness that came into. Listen, the church today is not going to experience revival as long as its believers are fighting with self-centeredness. Selfishness. Jealousy. And may I add another reason why I believe that... Um, these disciples were having some struggles. Look over in Mark chapter 9 in the parallel passage. Jesus actually in, in Mark will reveal. You see the disciples came to him after this event when they went into a house. And they actually asked him point blank. Why were we not able to cast out the demon? And in Mark 9, in verse 29, he gives the answer. He said unto them, this kind, talking about those demons, those kinds of, of demons and devils, can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Obviously, there are different kinds of devils. There, there are some more rebellious or maybe more defiant, if we want to say, than, than others. Demons have their classes, just like angelic beings in heaven have their classes. You know, seraphim and cherubim and, you know, archangels and the normal angels and the messenger angel. I mean, you go through angelology and compare it together. It seems to be that there are also classes of demons as well. And Jesus is pointing out that these specific demons will not listen to you except it first follow a seriousness in prayer and fasting. Jesus seems to be indicating that the disciples had not taking, taken their personal prayer life serious enough. You see, Jesus was consistent in his prayer and his communion with God. And I think the overconfidence in the disciples themselves and their lack of prayer and their lack of seriousness to the situation, and their overconfidence led to a place that they thought it was just going to happen. Warren Wearsby states this, this indicates that the nine of them had allowed their devotional discipline to erode during the Lord's brief absence. No matter what spiritual gifts we may have, their exercise is never automatic. Forgive us, Lord, when we take lightly our personal time with you. There are going to be battles this week that you will face. There may even come demonic opposition that you're going to face. You need your alone time with God. You need your prayer. 
And you may need to take a little extra step in some seriousness that you're facing. Maybe even go to a place of fasting and contemplation and, and realize the seriousness of the moment. The realize the sin that covers into your heart that we so easily can overlook it. The Lord Jesus Christ was disappointed with these disciples because they failed to get the job accomplished. Somehow it went back to some kind of Sin that had come into their life that had distracted them instead of obeying and listening to the word of God. I look last here as we close to the, the dynamic deliverer in verse 42. Back in Luke in verse 42. And as he went, yet coming, the devil threw him down and tear him. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the child and delivered him again to his father. See, the devil knows how to put people through so much torment. And the devil was working in the life of this man. And Jesus was, was commanding him and, and rebuked the spirit. And then this spirit tore this little boy's body up and, and threw him to the ground. And when Jesus rebuked the spirit... He healed the child and delivered him back to the Father. Turn back over to Mark 9 and look at what Mark says that I think, I think would be good for us to see something else that Mark records that Luke doesn't record that Jesus did here. In Mark 9 and verse 27, after the Spirit cried and rent him, and he came out of him in verse 26, he went down as one that was dead, insomuch that many said he's dead. So here he's motionless on the ground. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. What, what a scene of tenderness and compassion as Jesus reaches down and grabs the little boy by the hand, who's like he's dead, he's motionless, and then lifts him up to his feet. And then, if you connect that with the scene of Luke, with this verse, Jesus brings the little boy, probably hand in hand, and hands him over to his father. Luke's the only one that tells us that he handed him back. Now that's important, because... We know earlier Jesus had brought a son back to life and handed the son back to his grieving mother. He, he not only did that, but he took a, a little girl who had been dead and he took the mother and father and in a private room he reached down and told the girl to arise and then handed the girl back to the mom and dad. Now here... I know a song that we sing, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained with sin, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. You see, when nothing else can help, it's love. It's Jesus Christ that can take you out of the bondage of the devil and sin and bring you into a place of grace and love. And everyone at the end, look at verse 34 or 40, 43 here as we close. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. One translation says this, at the greatness of God. 
Another says, at the majesty of God. The Greek word is megos. With connected with the word meaning splendor or magnificent or glory or majesty. This great glory, this great majesty has been displayed by this man who is veiled in humanity. Notice everyone says, God did this. But yet he looks like just a normal carpenter. You see, before the inner three disciples had just seen the day where Jesus in all of his glory and splendor. On the mount, Jesus was revealed in light, in glory, as his garments had changed and his face changed. Then Jesus took off his superhero cape and walked back down into the valley. And everyone saw him just as a human. Until he came face to face with a man chained in his sin, with demon possession. And he stuns the crowd with his display of majesty and glory. And they all turn around and say, something about that man that has the mighty power of God. Mark this down. Jesus is just as powerful in the valley as he is on the mountaintop. He is just as glorious on earth as he is in heaven. And you may not be able to see it the same way, but he's not any less powerful, all alone in human form, as he is with a myriad of heavenly angels, fiery chariots, and flaming swords. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And don't be fooled by his humble form. He is just as much God veiled as he is unveiled. He is king over demons and he is king over those in bondage, even though it may not seem like it right now. All things are under his power. Now, what are you struggling with today? What are the battles that you're facing? Has the devil blinded you in some way to your sin? Has the devil brought you into a place of self-centeredness and jealousy and anger? Is, are you in a place of a lack of seriousness of your devotion and your walk and your prayer life with the Lord? Or are you just fatigued in the battle and in the fight? Because every day there's crowds and demons and arguing and fussing and you feel like a kindergartner teacher. Because of everything you're surrounded with. Scripture talks about the fact that we have a heavenly father who cares and has sent his son, left his heaven, and came down to this earth to encourage us and to show us that it is through his power we can do the impossible. How's your dependence on the Lord this morning? Father, I pray as we close today, and Lord, the struggles that we face down in the valley... In the presence of the kingdom of darkness. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We have a hope that this is not all there is. And that one day you are coming back for us. But as we struggle and fight. As we live in, in constant dependence in our prayer life. 
on you. I pray that you would give us strength. Lord, if there's someone here today that is, that is bound by the lies of the devil and their sin has blinded them to the truth, Lord, would they see Jesus Christ and see what he did on their behalf so that they can be free from their sin. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment we're going to stand to our feet. I've asked the ladies to play the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The second verse says, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Whatever you're struggling with this morning. Sin, selfishness. Lack of seriousness, fatigue, discouragement. Take it to the Lord. Seek forgiveness. Let His Word expose your heart. The disappointment that maybe He has because of what you've gone through this week. Maybe how you failed Him. He's with arms open wide, ready to receive you if you will repent. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. He's the only one that can, that can give you salvation and pardon. We stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you'd like to pray and come forward, you're welcome to pray here on the front pew or at the steps. Take a time of prayer. Maybe you pray at your seat. God's working in your heart, whatever trial, whatever struggles that you've had. This is an opportunity before we leave and go home to do business with the Lord. We have a responsibility to respond to the word of God. As she plays, these pray, you pray as well. If there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, we'd love to share with you. We've got the pastoral staff can be able to talk to you, answer any questions you have. song says are you weak and heavy laden cumbered with the load of care precious savior still our refuge take it to the lord in prayer do thy friends despise forsake thee take it to the lord in prayer in his arms he'll take and shield thee thou wilt find a solace there Father, thank you for your love and care for us. And Lord, thank you for your, your grace that is always sufficient in time of need. Whatever hurting, hurts and pains that uh, uh, your followers have today, would you help them and encourage them to make the right decision, make things right with you? Maybe they need to make some things right with someone else around them. Uh, bless us as we go. Would you give, give us encouragement as we see the face of God in Jesus Christ, who is standing right there with us to, to overcome any battle that we face. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.